Kairos. This is your moment. Liberty is not man's idea, it's God's idea. We must participate in the public square. This is a moment in time that will define history as we know it, the furtherance of America as we know it. That's a powerful gift, freedom. And we're not going to bow to tyranny. This isn't me standing, it's us. This is the moment for the body of Christ. We pray that there would be an awakening and a revival in the nation. In Jesus' name, amen. Happy Wednesday evening, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Uh, a number of folks were inquiring uh, last night. I think it was the second uh, broadcast of our Vintage McCoy, and they're saying, what is it, reruns or something? What does Vintage McCoy mean? And I said, I'd, uh, I'd, I'd explain it. It's real simple. Uh, the tagline is, history matters. And so we want to go back in time to be able to understand how to face what we're facing now, because everything that's happened has been lived before. And uh, folks have already figured out this mess. We just got to dust off the old books and figure it out. Got a special guest tonight, and I, I can't wait to have him come on. But before we do that, uh, today, uh, there's sad news. And I, I wanted to take a moment because, uh, as many of you know, uh, Rush Limbaugh uh, passed away today. And uh, I, I believe he went to be with the Lord. Uh, he uh, was 70 years old. He was a conservative voice in, uh, in radio for over three decades. And um, he, he passed away stage four lung cancer. Uh, we know that he had the Presidential Medal of Freedom that uh, President Trump had given him. And quite honestly, uh, I cut my teeth on conservative understanding from this man. I remember when he used to broadcast here in California, up in Northern California. My mom uh, got me to tune into his show, and I would listen to it on a regular basis. And I, I came to understand principles and realize this guy really knows what he's talking about. And I was deeply moved by him. I pray for his wife, Catherine. They didn't have any kids, but uh, it's a sad day. Uh, we lost a, a wonderful voice. And take a look at this clip uh, of his very last broadcast back in December. And it's touching what he says at the end. Listen. Listen real well. My point in all of this today is gratitude. My, my point in everything today that I share with you about this is to say thanks and to tell everybody involved how much I love you from the bottom of a sizable and growing and still beating heart. And there's room for, for much more. All because I have, I've learned what love really is during this. You know, I have a philosophy. There's good that happens in everything. It may not reveal itself immediately. And even in the most dire circumstances, if you just wait, if you just remain open to things, the good in it will reveal itself. Isn't that true? Uh, Rush was a deep thinker, and he was one that formulated, especially for this younger generation, some, uh, some profound ideas that have helped stave off what we're facing now in America. And Rush had been that, that voice of reason. And you contrast his voice, which was one of deep thinking and, and putting together intense concepts and making them simple and putting the cookies at the bottom shelf, speaking of freedom and liberty and personal responsibility, uh, things that folks that want to control you uh, don't want you to do. And, and yet he was a free thinker, and he pushed that, and he was ridiculed and ostracized, and folks that want to control others don't like voices like his. And, and his was one of, of individuality. And then you contrast that with the voice I'm about to show you of somebody that just carries a narrative. It's, it, it's just a talking head. And, and then you think about the, as we covered last night, bad ideas uh, have consequences. And, and in this clip, you're watching um, somebody in the news media who is on, on the secular progressive left. Listen to what they're advocating for and asking. And this is Rachel Maddow. Check this out. As far as I understand procedure in, in this part of the impeachment process, the Senate is setting the rules for the trial. The Senate could really set almost any rules that it wants in terms of how the impeachment was going to be conducted. So to the point that you've both discussed there about the courage or lack thereof among Republican senators uh, to cast their vote and actually consider the evidence rather their own political futures, 
Did you guys ever consider asking for this Senate trial to be judged by secret ballot? Uh, for the senators to cast their their con a vote to acquit or convict um, without putting their name on it was that a contention was that a, is that a, is that within the realm of possibility? I mean, you have three branches of government: executive, legislative, and judicial. The legislative branch was considered by our founders the most dangerous because it was connected to the sovereign of the nation, we the people. We elected them, so we have to hold them accountable. But now they get to do secret votes, so the people are moved out. It's a government of the people, by the people, and for the people, and she's advocating that the legislators don't have to be held accountable to their vote, and somehow they're able to get away with it and not be accountable to the people who elected them. And that's by consent of the governed, but we're not allowed to know how they operate. I mean, this is insane. This is right out of the Soviet playbook, and, and yet uh, the Constitution was designed specifically to protect us from an oligarchy, to protect us from those who would want to steal our individual liberties and and that's why I wanted to bring that to your attention. That's just a, that's a, that's terrible advocacy. Uh, and and I, want, I want every time before we introduce our guest, I, I want to leave you with something that will educate you. And so here's a simple clip to give you the importance of the U.S. Constitution and why this, why elected officials swear to defend this because this constrains them when they operate by our consent and their power, our power is given to them on loan, but they're constrained by that constitution and to violate that as Rachel Maddow is espousing is, is tragic. So take a look and learn and here you go. It's a Prager clip. The constitution did not envision a national government of general jurisdiction, meaning a government that could do whatever it wanted, but rather a government of enumerated and delegated powers a government that had authority over only specific areas of American life. All other powers were to be beyond the scope of the national government and reserved to the states or to the American people themselves. I mean, that's just a simple understanding of the Constitution in 30 seconds, and yet she has no clue on how, well, maybe she does, but she doesn't want that form of government. And here we're watching as America is trying to stave off a reset, and that reset is not going to be pleasant. We have a president who had his very first town hall in Wisconsin, and there were some cringeworthy moments in this town hall meeting, and it just makes you, I mean, listen, I, I don't know if he's been diagnosed with dementia or anything along those lines. All I can tell you is my dad had Alzheimer's for 15 years before he went to be with the Lord. When I look at the president, there are times where I'm seeing my father. I don't care what you diagnose or what you think. I'm just telling you what I'm seeing. And these were cringe, cringeworthy moments in this town hall meeting. I've got three of them for you. And, and between each of them, I'm going to say a little something. But the last one I'm going to use to introduce our guest. But let's take a look at the first of three. You have... Um... Over the years, over your career, you've already spent a great deal of time at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, except now you're living there and you're president. It's been four weeks. What's it like? How's it different? I get up in the morning, look at Jill and say, where the hell are we? I, I, I would be pinching myself saying, I, I can't believe I get to, now, I don't know what he's in, inferring about that statement, but that's a little frightening. It doesn't give a lot of comfort to the American people. And then this is a man that when you hear this next clip, this is one of the most cringeworthy of many in that town hall. And, and the way that he treats minorities and what he thinks about minorities is all encapsulated in this clip. Take a look. The, uh, the other part portion is a lot of people don't know how to register. Not everybody in the community, in the Hispanic and the African-American community, particularly in uh, uh, rural areas that are distant and or inner city districts know how to use, know how to get online to determine how to get in line for that COVID vaccination at the, at the Walgreens. So basically, minorities, inner city folks have no clue how to use the Internet. That's, that's the mindset of the elite, that America's stupid, whether they're in the inner city or the urban regions, they don't know how to access the Internet now, this last one, um, he's the president of the United States. He's a commander in chief. How he attend, attained that position, let's just not even worry about it. Let's, let's just take a look. This is the commander in chief and, and watch what he has to say in regards to vaccinations. And this will introduce our guest speaker shortly. Check it out. 
And uh, the biggest thing, though, as you remember, when you and I, no, I shouldn't say it that way, as you remember, but when you and I talked last, we talked about it's one thing to have the vaccine, which we didn't have when we came into office, but a vaccinator. How do you get the vaccine into someone's arm? How do, you, how do you get the vaccine into somebody's arm? Uh, well, uh, this, is, this, is, this is an intense and problematic question uh, that requires great minds to figure out how we come up with the vaccinator. How do we get that vaccine into the arm? So we have brought a medical doctor on, and uh, he's been a guest of our show, but I think this is a great segue. Let's welcome Dr. Keith Rose. Hey, Doc, how are you? Good. How are you doing? Um, well, you, you saw the clip. I mean, come on. How, how do you get the vaccine into somebody's uh, arm? Tell me. I, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm in a state of, a uh, little bit of state of confusion because you went from Rush Limbaugh, a brilliant original mind, to Rachel Maddow, Maddow a pre-programmed mind, to Joe Biden, a vacant mind. And, and, I, and I can't really, you know, and then when you have that mind of Joe Biden, you default to your normal, what you known your whole life, which for Joe Biden has been racism and has been, you know, speaking lies and, and reading cue cards. Now I'm sure they're oversized cue cards. It probably looks like the price is right. They have people holding cue cards the size of a person. But what, what you're seeing is you're seeing the domestic, the laws of domestic image run up, run up against the laws of nature and reality, natural reality. And Joe Biden's talking about vaccinators. You know, we've had those for a long time. They're called people. We have nurses, medical assistants, the whole needle through the skin thing is, has been worked out prior. You know, it's really hard for him to go. He's, he's gotten into so much revisionist history. He's revising the fact that we already know how to give shots. Yeah. I'm sure Zen will probably put this in a history book somewhere where Joe Biden invented the vaccinator the same way Al Gore invented the Internet. But at the end of the day, we as the American people have to step back and recognize what's taking place before our eyes. Because what you're seeing is someone that is is barely capable of speaking coherent sentences, and he is considered the president, or he is the president of our, our nation. And if that doesn't give Americans great pause, I'm not sure what will. Well, I, I was, I was going to say, Keith, when, when, when you were talking about this, I, I, I think with when he stated the vaccinator, I think the issue for him, if I'm getting into his mind trying to figure it out, is he's more thinking, how do we get people to yield to be vaccinated? I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt because the, the government wants everybody vaccinated. And, and we were studying in our previous program with, with uh, Congressman McEwen on Monday, the World Health Organization says that the greatest hindrances uh, to, to the vaccination worldwide, and by the way, we went through the whole thing with vaccine and the definition of it, which this thing is not. But, but the hindrance is people who go to church, Christians, the World Health Organization said this, people who believe in nationalism, uh, gun rights advocates, and and so there's a there's a hindrance in America to allowing ourselves to be injected with a vaccine that has been rushed to the market with really there's no liability to it, uh, no one's held accountable for it, and we don't know if it affects the RNA or the DNA. We don't know, and they're saying it doesn't. But show us the empirical data, and yet we're looking f at this for uh, a, a virus that. Does it merit this kind of attention? And, and let, let's give him the benefit of the doubt. I think he wants to get everybody vaccinated, but speak on that if you would. Does the government, yeah, does the government think, have the right to go into your arm without your consent? Yeah, no. This is not something that the government can force people to take. Number one, we need to step back and look at this, not only from a medical standpoint, but from a common sense standpoint. I would say this vaccine is typical of what the progressive liberals have been trying to inject us with for the past decade. And that's with their idea of what's best for us, their nanny state policies. And now they've progressed all the way to telling us what's healthy for us. But the problem is, again, they're running up against reality, history, and experience. So if you take a step back, you have to just look at it and say, one, is it a vaccine? And I'm sure you've talked about this. It's not. 
It doesn't share with contr- share with everybody. Go ahead. Go ahead. Because uh, reiterate a vaccine doesn't commit doesn't contribute to herd immunity, and it has not been proven to prevent the transmission of the disease. Not my words. The companies that are making the vaccine. So you don't have anything that if it if it doesn't achieve vaccinated herd immunity, I it's not a vaccine. And the second thing is, it's experimental. And I mean really experimental. It's experimental because it, quote, lessens the symptoms. And think about this for a second. You have a disease that by all accounts, in my personal experience, with clinics that I own treating over a 1,000 patients with active disease, including my own parents, that can be treated with a inexpensive medication that is readily available and has a wonderful safety profile, and that's hydroxychloroquine. Now, the same people that are telling me that hydroxychloroquine didn't work are telling me I have to take the vaccine. And if you step back and look at that, just from a common sense standpoint, anyone with any intellectual integrity would look at that and ask the question, why? The only reason we have a rushed vaccine is because they got an ex- an emergency use authorization for the testing and for the vaccine. And they would not have gotten the emergency use authorization if there was something that could already treat COVID-19, which there was. Yeah. Now, in my small sample of 1,000-plus patients, we have a 100% recovery rate. The oldest patient with active symptoms being 90 years old that lives near my folks, and she recovered in three days. So there are treatments out there. Just because Facebook says that that's questioned or some 21 to 25-year-old fact checker is reading from a list, I mean, they have the same experience in medicine as probably the president who's telling us we need vaccinators. I think what he meant is we need vaccinatees because he wants everyone to get vaccinated. Yeah. And the other thing is they're telling us, even if you've had COVID-19, you need to be vaccinated, which is bizarre because you vaccinate someone. So you get antibodies and you get your immune system to defend against this disease. And if you've had it, then you already have that. So that doesn't make a lot of sense. And I, I'm going to put my money on what we call our natural immune system. And, and as vintage McCoy would understand based on history and experience, Vintage medicine, based on history experience, would tell you that uh, we've never done this before, the way we're treating this disease. Now, but that alone should make you scared of the disease. But let's get let's take it a step further. This is, quote, experimental technology. I mean, no other vaccine in the world is currently using this technology. But trust us. Now, with this technology, we know that there have been reports of people dying rather quickly once they get the vaccine they have a whistleblower report out of germany right now of i believe eight out of 31 nursing home patients died when they got the vaccine that's a big number that's like a quarter of the patients that got it died now granted that's anecdotal but it should at least make you look at the vaccine more. And we're finding out that a lot of people that take the vaccine get sicker than they would if they actually had the disease. And again, we're speaking of a disease with almost a 99.5% survival rate under the age of 70 without comorbid conditions. Now, we also know it causes inflammation in the placenta if you're pregnant. And again, they're safe, affordable treatments to this. So why are we forcing people to take it. Why are we even making this an issue? Because well, it's like let, everything else. It's a pseudo issue. And it's, it's, let's, it's a let's man-made do this, issue. Let's do this, Keith, because everything that you just shared reemphasized what, what we've studied on previous broadcasts. And, and now we're looking, first of all, I want everyone to know that you are in Texas right now. Everything's frozen. Oil production in America has been dropped 40%. All of your, your windmill, uh, you know, energy-driven green energy has frozen. And uh, these helicopters with fossil fuels are spraying fossil fuel chemicals on top of your, you know, windmills to loosen them. And, and yet uh, we've lost 11,000 jobs, 2 million people without power. Your folks were hit by this. And, and we're watching these bad ideas affect the country in horrific ways. 
And then they call it an existential crisis, global warming, and yet Texas is experiencing cold equivalent to what Alaska is going through right now. And then we transition to this COVID relief bill that, that they're, they're pushing through the government, and you've read it in, in its entirety. As a medical doctor, talk to us about this, because as they're, as they're trying to implement this vaccine that you, you, you just articulated so clearly, what is the other ulterior motive that they're trying to do with this virus um, that really has nothing to do with our health? If you read the bill, and unfortunately I sat and read through 2,000 pages, it links almost every paragraph where money will be distributed to, and I can uh, briefly, I can't even read from it. It basically links it to COVID-19, the treatment, evaluation, you know, how they deal with it, everything from COVID-19 treatment, evaluation, prevention for the arts, the humanities, every government, every, I, I don't know, I would say maybe cities that didn't, and states that didn't manage their finances correctly. And, 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 and again, Rob, what you're seeing and what is, is real malfeasance, I can look at this as a doctor, but more importantly, I can look at it as a sentient human being that understands truth. And I think right now what we're running into is we're running into a crisis of truth and reality. And a lot of people are sitting back and looking at that and, and we're watching ideas, you know, float by Joe Biden's false teeth and he speaks them. And, you know, these ideas seem to stick better than his dentures. And no one seems to want to understand why he's saying what he's saying and why the Congress. And I'm going to tell you, when you read this bill are doing what they're doing. You're talking almost $2 trillion, hundreds of millions of dollars. And if you read through it, and I would encourage people, just scan it. It'll say this money is set aside for the treatment, education. They use all the, the bureaucratic um, talking points and the words treatment, education, prevention of COVID-19, and they cover everything. And that would make sense, say, COVID-19 was smallpox, where we lost a third of the people. But we're not doing that. We're finding out the longer this goes on, the more we're realizing what COVID-19 isn't. We're, we're realizing that why were we reporting deaths, quote, with COVID-19, like a car accident where someone gets their head crushed, but they were positive. So it's a death with COVID-19. Well, we understand the monetary reason for the hospital. But there's a deeper ethical reason. And, and simply what we're seeing right now is a crisis of leadership. We have American politicians that are decadent and they're feckless. This is what Washington warned us about, the avarice and ambition of people in government. Because the only way our constitutional government works with separation of power, if you have men that have virtue or morals. And I know you and I have talked about this. But now they're substituting image for reality. They did it with the beginning of COVID and they saw it work. So they're continuing to push an image or a narrative in place of reality. And when it goes wrong, they just pretend, oh, it didn't happen. I mean, I can give you a great example because of COVID. You remember when they said hydroxychloroquine, there was a big study out of the Lancet and it was wrong. Right. Of course, no one really talked about a lot. It was retracted two weeks later. And that out of 80,000 plus patients in this retrospective study, they couldn't produce one medical record. And it was done by four people in a company that had all kinds of questions about it. And it, and it basically looked like pure fraud. The Lancet retracted it in two weeks. But again, they don't talk about it. They say it didn't happen. Just like they say, well, a lot of people are not as badly affected, but this vaccine's still real important. But I would take you back. I don't know if you've ever talked about this, but understanding how we test for COVID in the first place, they approved the PCR test for COVID before it was ever published. That's unheard of. I mean, they identified the test they were going to use in the World Health Organization on January 15th and approved it. And on January 17th, it was submitted for publication, I believe. And on January 18th, it was published about the PCR test. Now, here's the irony. They developed that test for disease that has tanked the world economy and changed the world we live in 
based on a, a paper that was just published when we, quote, realized what COVID-19 was, but that testing had been running for three to four months, but we don't ask those questions. What were they testing against? They say they were testing against a, thin, a synthetic chain, you know, kind of like the synthetic chains they're using to make the vaccine. And so we had, now we know a lot of these tests, 70 to 90% are false positive. And so there's been, I guess to, to keep out a 100,000 foot view, there's been a lot of lies. There's been a lot of sleight of hand with COVID. It's a bad disease, but it's a disease that we have, we're treating different from every other disease in the world, but it's not the worst disease in the world we've ever seen. It seems when we find a good treatment, we're told that doesn't work or it's dangerous. And then when they realize it does work and it's not dangerous, Facebook says, oh, well, maybe we were wrong. We as the American people have to hold our elected leaders accountable. Truth matters because right now I think that if everyone in your audience understands you're not safe, you're not safe with the current leadership. Your children aren't safe. Your families aren't safe. My parents are not safe with the leadership we have in Austin right now. My parents live on a small ranch and they were frozen in for four days with no electricity. Now my dad is 84 years old and he's, he's tough. And they had neighbors that went through the snow to check on them and bring them firewood. But their neighbors took care of them. The God took care of them, but not government. And, and, and government was never supposed to be God. It's like you started out. It was never supposed to be an all-powerful, omnipotent, all-protecting, centralized government. And so we have to turn back to move forward, back to the basics of the founding and shrink the size of government. Because all they're doing is they're causing more problems and they're not solving anything. And these problems now, whether it's freezing in Texas or whether it's COVID-19 and the response there are killing people and yeah. you're not safe and that's not acceptable. I wish there was a better word to say, but I think when people die in medicine, we call that death. And when people die because of malfeasance, whether it's ERCOT in Texas, the way they handled the electrical grid, or whether it's Dr. Fauci and the CDC and the NIH and the way that they said, don't use hydroxychloroquine, when I can tell you firsthand, it works. I there's no question. This is not up for discussion. This is just up for image management on their side. And I think the truth matters. And that's what God calls us to. He calls us to speak the truth. Keith, with, with the illustration, as you described, you know, what your mom and dad were going through, four days frozen in, neighbors coming to reach them, talking about how government is not looking out for us, that, this, that, that actually they're, they're proving to be dangerous. It seems as though if we do this vintage and we go back in time, America's founding was individual freedoms, and actually the revolution itself occurred not not on a federal level where all thirteen were. It was it was localities, uh, you know, Lexington and Concord, small little districts that just stood up to imperialism and the encroachment of an oligarchy and tyranny. And so, you know, you you brought up a really good point that we need to develop locally and take care of our communities and invest our lives there and infuse an understanding that we have to we have to operate in the context of truth so we have to shut off the narrative that is is pitting us against one another and and start to realize look this is all going to come down on our community we have to be strong enough to withstand it um, almost like a body i mean you could you almost look at it in medical terms that certain organs are still healthy but you've got a cancer that's invading and uh, I don't know. Maybe it's a terrible comparison. No, it's not. But... It's it's spot on. You have a cancer that's invading, and it's starting out insidiously, insidiously as a lie. It's starting out, you know, what did how did just use COVID and then move forward. When it started out, all the leaders of the big cities went on the news and told us it's fine. You don't have to lock down. Of course. The politicians were already changing their stock portfolios because they understood what was coming in the committees. And then when we had COVID, the first lockdowns were to, quote, lockdown three weeks to bend the curve. Flatten, we don't even yeah. talk about that. Anymore. Flatten the curve, whatever. And, and we don't do that anymore. 
And now we're being and now we have a person in the White House who everything about him is false from his dadgum teeth to those little musings that float by his teeth that he's telling us, well, we'll probably not be able to, you know, get back to, quote, normal till sometime next year. And it's all a lie. And and so then you have people that take that lie and it becomes their cause. And and there's a lot of reasons for that psychologically, but I believe they want safety. So they hold on to that lie at the risk of everything else. We've, we've got a lockdown or we won't be safe. What about the kids that are dying in record numbers from overdoses and suicides? What about just the mental illness we're seeing on We've never seen anything like this in the country. And then you have Dr. Fauci come out and say, you've got to open schools. And then the teachers unions get involved. And he says, well, not yet. I mean, what you're seeing is just what you said. It's a cancer. It's called the bureaucracy. Nothing that's bigger is better. And if you read this bill, it's going to shake you to your foundations. You're going to realize that if the bureaucracy is a cancer, then this bill is going to expand it exponentially because it is going to feed this cancer. And when something grows, something has to be taken away. And those are going to be your liberties and your freedoms. Why are we paying taxes to a government that continues to expand? It's the equivalent if I had a patient with cancer. I would basically be taking important organs for him in order to grow the cancer bigger in his body. What makes sense of that? Yeah, The way that you function in any system, whether it's government, physical, homeostasis in any system, functions on balance. And our founders knew that. And they knew something that they, you know, you go back to the founding. Our founders understood that our rights came from God. Now, it's not something that popped into their head. They studied the ancients. They studied British common law, Montesquieu, Locke. They studied everything, and they wanted to understand what was the best government? And they realized something. Man was not responsible for bringing government to man. Because every time they saw that happen, as Benjamin Franklin said, societies sowed the seeds of their own dissolution. So right now, they and back then, I'm sorry, they, they looked at it and they said, okay, our rights come from God. Because they understood a key thing that I've been really mulling over in my mind and that no man was ever created to be his own God or the God of another man. And no system of ideas was ever created to dominate man as God. So man's not God. You're not God of another man. And no system of ideas was made to dominate man as God, because again, you enter into a human component. And the balance of that, the homeostasis of that, just like in the body, was co-equal branches. The only thing that could pull that out of homeostasis was lack of virtue. And that word used back in ancient days, virtue, just meant morality. Right. And, and I think that's what we're seeing right now. And, and, and I, as, as we look at the Titler cycle, the Scottish historian who says... From bondage comes freedom, freedom comes uh, abundance, abundance comes apathy, apathy comes dependence, dependence comes, uh, you know, slavery again. Uh, the only way out of that titler cycle is to infuse it with the triangle of freedom, faith, virtue, freedom. That, that once there's an awakening, as we were talking about earlier, dusting off the old books, coming back and seeing a homeostasis of three parts of government you know, vintage, going back in history and saying, look, nothing, nothing new under the sun. We have the roadmap. Let's, let's look at it again, go back and start to implement this. We've got time. We're, we're up against it, but we do have a cure for this cancer. And, and we, the people, you know, I, I love what you share, Keith, and, and it's one of my favorite insights scripturally. When you're talking about the Lord and he is, he's, he's in the boat and the storm is raging, and I love this, what you said. The storm is raging. And they wake him up and they, you know, they say, Don't you, aren't you afraid? We're all dying. And, and he, he just looks at him and he, said, and he looks at the storm and he says, Peace be still. And not only did the storm stop, but what you pointed out was critical. That the ancillary effect of the storm, which is the, the waves that are caused by the wind, that usually 
once the storm stops, the waves are still crashing. That's why we used to love to go surf after, you know, a hurricane in Mexico. Oh, yeah. You would get big surf. But, but even the waves ceased immediately, the, the, the results of the storm. So if there's an awakening and a return to the Lord, there will be not only an end, a possibility, well, the reality of him calming the storm, but the effects of the storm. He can restore the years of locusts have eaten in, in a moment's time, but it requires a couple of things, and this is what I want to pose to you. One, we're looking at it, we're saying this cancer is out of control, and as a doctor, and you've seen diagnosis, and you've worked with kids, and you've seen awful things, and I can't think of anything more probably tragic than being an oncology ward with children. And, and you look at that and you say, that's a death sentence. But you've seen miracles in your life. You've seen these kids that turn around and say, I don't know how it happened, but they were completely cured. I'm, I, I don't know. It doesn't make any logical sense. This is a miracle. And every doctor has one of those stories. And that's the hand of God. Well, in, in, in regards to that, if we as a nation recognize our offense to our Creator, acknowledge that and repent, and just make Him Lord... And say, save us. The idea is, he says, peace be still. But we have to be completely dependent upon him and completely reliant upon him and yielded. Whatever breaks his heart has to break our heart. We can't categorize him and put him in a box. He has to be everything. So well, elaborate on that. I, yeah, I, you know, I, I trained, I did a fellowship at the Shriners Hospital for burns and crippled children. And I actually was an author on a study that we looked at 80% burn survivors. Number of 80, uh, like over 100 kids that survived 80% burns of their body. And working in the shrines, when a child is burned early in life, if, if as long as you can get them operated on quickly and stop the inflammatory response, the general thing, and get them into rehab. But they also had schools. They had everything. The child had to work to get better. And uh, we would also cover the adult burn unit at, at University of Texas. And when we covered the adult burn unit, you got adult with an 80% burn, and they didn't have the same outcomes. They got stuck in what was, and they couldn't move forward. It just It was too much for them. But a child realized, I've got to do this. And, and he accepted it and he moved forward. You see, God doesn't give us overcoming life. He gives us life as we overcome. Hmm. I was reading Matthew 12, 13 the other day when Christ talked to the man with the withered hand. And I do hand surgery, right. so I thought it was interesting. And he said, stick out your hand. And when the guy stuck out his hand, he was healed. And God just kind of jacked me on that and said, wait, do you see? You have to move. And then I work. He works through our obedience and through our movement. A lot of believers today are like, I'm praying about it, you know, and I'm just waiting for God to show me what to do. God's showing you what to do. He's put that in your heart. The Holy Spirit speaks to you and you need to move in your conscience what it directs you to. And we have to move as people in this nation. George Washington didn't sit back and go, but I'm, I'm just praying that the British are going to roll over. No, they went out and did the work and we have been, like you said, comfortable for a long time in this nation. And I believe as the body of Christ, we have stopped moving. We need to stretch out our withered hand and let Christ heal it. We need to have overcoming life. As we overcome, God can work through us. So we're going to have to deal with these things. They're not going to go away. Uh, it's going to take about, everyone having a different job. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build on or add to uh, your, your insight on the man with the withered hand. This is a man who had a withered hand. Jesus says, stretch it out. He, he can say to the Lord, you know, I've had this withered hand my whole life. I, I've tried to stretch it out. I've tried more times than you know. Why would you make me do this? This is a waste of time. I've already gone down that road. And, and, it, and it, it's reminiscent that if the Lord's calling you to do it, then do it. If this is critical, I mean, you know, a man can tell you to do it. You can try on your own to do it. But if God's calling you to do it, then do it. And so the, the idea is we, we want liberty. We want freedom. We want a life that matters. We want a future for our kids and our grandkids. And yet we say, but there's nothing I can do. And now God is saying, yes, there is. I want you to stand upon truth. And you say, well, I'm going to lose my job. 
I, I know what's going to happen. No, no, trust me. Stand. Stand for what's right. Everyone stand. Do, do your part because the way that evil works is a, a thousand people complicit with a lie creates this, this death to the culture. But when people stand upon truth and they say, look, I've already counted the cost. I'm doing this because God said to. And the rest doesn't matter. That's, well, that's when I, the hand is healed. It's true. And I, let me build on that. You said when people stand on lies. Solzhenitsyn, when he um, defected to the West, he wrote the Gulag Archipelago. And he, and he said, the last thing he said before he defected was, live not by lies. And what he meant by that was, you may not have the courage to speak the truth, but you have to have the conviction not to repeat the lies. Yeah. And so for some people, God has called us. He's created each one of us different and unique. And we all have a personality. We all have a drive inside of us. But we never notice that drive until we step out. And I would tell you as a believer, step out in faith. God does what we can't wrap our mind around. If you think about it, you know, you had a shepherd go out there and had the and he went up against a giant. No giant, no King David. And he was going to be a king, but he had to go up against the giant. And it didn't happen overnight. David had a lot of trials and tribulations before he came, became king, but God knew what he had for him. And David remained faithful. Not a perfect person because none of us are. But you think about Joseph. I mean, the guy was thrown in a pit. And it wasn't enough to be thrown in a pit by his brothers. I mean, we talk about being a victim. His brothers threw him in a pit, sold him into slavery. He does a great job for the guy he sold to, rises up to the number two position in his house, does not sleep with the guy's wife, and then goes to prison. And But if you don't have that type of challenge in your life, you don't have someone that literally saved that part of the world by listening to God and then storing up grain and, and, and be rising up to almost – equal to Pharaoh. He had that influence. And so what I would encourage your viewers to know is you have influence inside of you that God is going to use and he's created it for the right time, but he's created it to come out with his moral virtuous underpinnings. And our founders understood this. I mean, think about Moses when he was younger man, he had inside of him to fight for the people that were the underdog. He had it in him. Now he didn't have the moral underpinning at first because he killed the Egyptian, but then he went to the, the desert and he came back. God worked on him and he led the people out of Egypt. And these are all true. This is not like a fairy tale. God has put something in each one of us and he will develop that as we turn to him. It's not self-realization. It's Christ realization. I mean, yeah. I came to this party later than everyone else. I'm the last person to be speaking about this. And I'm not speaking about it from my standpoint, but from who lives in me, who drives me, who is everything. It's not what we do, but what we're in and what we do. This may look impossible. It, I felt it the other day reading this, this stimulus bill. I was like, there's, there's no way that, that this can be fixed. And then I realized this is my burden. I want to change, but I know I don't have, I just have to do the work. God will change it. And he'll change the people around you. You have great influence, but I would encourage your listeners in California and everywhere. You have influence, you have influence in your fears, spheres, and God will use you stick out your hand and watch him work. You know, the guy that, that was lame would never have been healed. Had his friends not cut a hole in the roof. They just had to yeah. get him down there, and they went around the crowd. They climbed up on the roof and cut a hole in the roof. We as believers have sat back, and instead of cutting holes in roofs, we just hit like on Facebook. I like that verse. Praise God. No, God wants us to do the work. He wants us to figure out a way to cut a hole in the roof and let the person down. And when you do that, you're going to see a miracle. And I believe God's going to work miracles in this nation, and another great awakening is what I pray. I, I, I want to I conclude tonight with, with a passage that, that ministered to me. And I know you and I talked yesterday about how last week, we're, we're not men who are discouraged, but we found ourselves last week kind of getting hit a little bit, which is, it, it's, it's, it, I, I'm, I feel like I'm an, I'm, a, I'm an eternal optimist. And for something like that to happen, especially for you, I call you for sunshine. And you said the same thing about me. And, it, and it's like, for us to have gone through that season was odd. And I, I know there's a heaviness on the land, 
But what really ministered to me, and I know it does for you as well, is, is you find it in Joshua chapter 1. And, and the Lord's speaking to him. Moses is gone. Joshua's taken the mantle. He's, he feels ill-equipped. He, he saw how God handled Moses and his failures. And he's thinking to himself, what am I going to do? And God says, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. And he says this, be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn away from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. He says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but it shall, you shall meditate on it day and night that you may observe and do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. And then finally, have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Three times, not just courage, but very courageous. And, and the, the reverse of that is discourage. This is the absence of. And courage is the ability to stand in a time where it's frightening. And the way you do that is to know that wherever you go, God's with you. And if He's called you to it, no weapon fashioned against you will stand. So if, if, if God says, be strong and of good courage, they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna kill us by a thousand cuts of a willingness to yield to a lie. And the courage comes when you say, no, no, I, that, I'm, 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 I don't do stupid. I'm, I'm not wearing that mask. I'm sorry. Well, then you're out. All right. Everyone knows their sphere where they stand and where they're afraid. And everyone is required from the Lord in that courage to stand. That's the only way to stave off this deception. And what are you afraid of? You're afraid of a, 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 a lying narrative that has destroyed and paralyzed our country. And, and, and they're feeding it everywhere we go. And the alternative is if you stand in opposition, we're, we're going we're gonna to cancel you, we're going to destroy you, we're going to wipe you out, we're going we're gonna to censor you. And if that frightens you, who do you serve? Stand up. Be, a, well, be very courageous and strong. And, and this is the way you do it. it you get out of self-realization that I have to do this. And you get into Christ-realization, Christ in yeah. me. You may not be able to stand Christ in you can more than take care of that. And when we do that, the, I would encourage everyone not only to stand, but stand for leaders that have fruit, that we need to look at what our leaders have done, not the image they portray, but the actions that they've done and, and, yeah. and what they will do. And, and, and we have to get back to Christ. We have to turn in. We have to look at, it's not about us. It's, we don't need a great orator. We don't need a pithy person. We don't need anything. We need someone that is so sold out to Christ that when he speaks, you don't see him. You see Christ moving through him. That's the way you have a great awakening. That's where you got your George Whitfields. That's when you had the great awakening before the civil war. And I believe it'll happen again mm -hmm. because it's going to come when people recognize that their rights don't come from God and God will give you life and life. Abundantly. No, no, their rights do come from God. I mean, the rights do come from, I'm sorry, they don't come from man. And they will, I'm sorry. Yeah. And, and you will have life and life abundantly through Christ. Yeah. And, and, and then people will start to see healing. You'll start seeing supernatural things in life. You'll see, you'll see men's hearts change. Yeah. And you'll see this nation become a nation of light. America's not a, a landmass. It's an ideal. And it it's is. an ideal based on freedom. And, and, and if you just want to understand it from a secular standpoint, you know you're over the target when you're being attacked. You know you're a threat. I didn't. I, when I was overseas, if you weren't a threat, I didn't waste time on you. But if you were a threat, I paid attention. Christians are being persecuted more than ever right now. Why? Because you're a threat. You're a threat to them, not because you're violent, not because you're a white supremacist, because you worship God and your rights come from God. And you, of someone who is steeped in his faith, not a religious person, but someone who's steeped in his faith is a danger 
to an idea that says this idea will govern you, govern you by men. It scares them to death. They can't handle that. And it's okay. Don't be afraid. David said when he was king of, when he was king of Israel and he had a palace, he said, I pitched my tent in Jerusalem. We're all pitching our tents here. You and I both, I'm 56 now. I mean, I'm not young anymore. And it doesn't matter because I pitch my tent here. I'm here where God has me for as long as he has me to speak the truth. And the truth, like Paul said, is Christ and Christ alone. And that's that's what's going to change man's heart. And I believe it can happen. It. it- it, it's uh, refreshing for me, and you were you were describing that we're to look for those voices in a season like this that are true and they're they're inspiring and there's fruit in 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 their lives. And and I I would say that God brought you into my life to provide that. I, I'm grateful to the Lord. I, I know I'm doing something right when God brings me a friend like you. And I would also <laughs> I don't know about that. I, well, you may have been he, mad at you that day. No, no, and that's the humility that I love too. And and and, and with that being said. As, as we move forward in this courage, and you know this, uh, being in a previous lifetime in areas of danger, knowing your life was on the line in some of these intense countries and the work you did, and I, I'll leave that up to you to describe at another broadcast, but I, I, will, I will say that you came face to face with your time on this earth at that moment you knew could be over. And, and you came face to face with that, you processed it, and You were enveloped by fear. It it seemed as though there's no way out. And yet that's where you just say, you know, Lord, I have a peace about this. And you were able to keep your wits and navigate yourself out of the situation or whatever was required with peace through fire superiority. But for all of us, we come to that place where it boils down to one simple thing. We're already dead. The Apostle Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. We don't have to hold on to our fear of what people will think. Fear doesn't motivate us. Fear doesn't move us. Fear of man is a snare. But reverential fear of God brings courage. Because if I'm doing right by Him, I got nothing else to worry about. And the price is nothing compared to what I'm going to receive in relation to obedience. And, and I, I know it took you a long time in your life to come to that realization but yeah, would you agree that that's how you dispel fear? It's the only way. And and the thing is this. You have people listening to your your show, and you know people, that God's moving in their lives. Look, I'm not a religious person. I don't know how to do that. But I'm a relationship person. And God calls us to love and not be fearful. I fear not, being a, not doing what God's called me to. And that's a healthy fear. And I do have regrets in my past. And that's, that's, not, that's not guilt, but it's kind of a spiritual regret that, you know, I recognize what I missed out. But anyone listening, God's going to take you where you are because he did me. And he's going to put you back on the path of your purpose. We have a society today that, that lives virtually through a phone or a smart tab. And we watch other people and we see things and we look at that. And what you don't realize is God knew about us before we got here. It says in the Psalms, he had our name in a book and we were created in the womb wonderfully. God knew about this. He put a purpose in every one of us. And you know what that is because that's what brings passion to you. And my purpose is not everyone else's. You know, people come up, I'm a missionary. That's not my purpose. I give them some money and say, God God bless. But everyone has a purpose. And there are people out there that have a purpose to lead in this nation, to lead at a local level, a state level. And there are people that have a purpose. And we all come together to form the body. But you can't live by lies and reach your purpose. So I would encourage everyone to just really be encouraged. I mean, this is a great time to be alive. It's an awesome and, time to be alive. I mean, and, 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 and it's listen to what Rush said at the very end. I'll sum it up for you. He was denying himself. He was very humble. In his own way, he was taking up his cross. I do believe Rush became a believer. No question. Yeah. yeah. Why? Because I'm looking at his fruit. The humility. He wasn't sad, like, from a self-pity standpoint. I think Rush truly wanted to serve longer and because he recognized where the source is. Look, my freedom, I'm free in Christ. It doesn't matter what you do to me. 
You can't take from me something that has been given as a gift and can never be removed. Amen. So I, you know, I, I tell people this, you know, David, King David was respected because he conquered Goliath. And, you know, Joseph was respected because he conquered, you know, just being dropped to the lowest position and then rose up highly. But I worship Jesus Christ because he conquered the one thing no one else in history has ever conquered. He conquered sin. And that's the reason that we can go to heaven. Amen. That's a good one to leave with. And I, I think with what you just said, I, I, um, I'm going to close different than we normally do. Um, I, I, I love when you pray, Keith, and I'd ask that you'd pray. And then we're, we're going to, then after you finish praying, I want to show that, that, that clip that we had of, of Rush. And it, because you referred to it, and I thought, that's a good one to end on. Um, and then I'll read the blessing at, at the conclusion of that. But why don't you pray for us, Keith? Sure. Father, we, we thank you for this time in history, Lord. We thank you for Rush. Lord, it says absent from the body is present with God. And I know that Rush is standing in heaven now, seeing past friends, loved ones. But more importantly, he is with our Father. And Lord, we just thank you that we can honor you during this difficult time, that you are a God that produces rivers of living water. If we just only turn to you, not ourselves, we don't look inside ourselves, but we look to you and you direct our lives. And we thank you that you give us victory, Lord, victory. And Lord, we thank you that you're the God of justice. Yes. You're the God that created this world and that you and you alone will reign someday. So we give you our hearts, Lord, and we ask that you reign in our lives. And we pray that you have mercy on this nation and we pray for an awakening once again and that we yes. remain one nation under you so yes, that we Lord. can continue to be a light of freedom for the world. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Dr. Keith. You bless us as always. And, uh, Let's let's uh, I'm going to say goodbye to you and we'll say hello to Rush. Just uh, and I'll, I'll catch right. up with you later this week. But love yes, you, man. Sir. Bless you. Love you, brother. Thank you. All right. Let's show a, a clip, if we can, of um, Rush and uh, his final broadcast uh, back in December. And we miss the man already, but uh, he had a huge impact on my life, Dr. Keith's life, especially um, Charlie Kirk and countless others. And my my mom's in heaven and uh, she got a chance to meet Rush, so she's probably stoked on that. So take a look at the clip. My point in all of this today is gratitude. My, my point in everything today that I share with you about this is to say thanks and to tell everybody involved how much I love you from the bottom of a sizable and growing and still beating heart. And there's room for, for much more. All because... I have I've learned what love really is during this. You know, I have a philosophy. There's good that happens in everything. It may not reveal itself immediately. And even in the most dire circumstances, if you just wait, if you just remain open to things, the good in it will reveal itself. He said, I, I know what love is. First John 4, 8. He who does not know love does not know God, for God is love. He said he knows what love is. It's not what, it's who. It's Jesus. No one will love you more than the Lord. He's come that you might have life and life more abundant. He gives you courage. He exchanges your sin for his, his righteousness. And he imputes to you a life of abundance. He, he allows us to excel to levels we would have never have done on our own. And he allows us to pursue truth. And truth is what sets us free. He died to set the captives free. All of redemption of man, all of the history of the 66 books of the Bible, real simple. We were enslaved and he came to set us free. And here we are contending with a government that's wanting to enslave and a God who's come to set us free. And so with that, turn to the truth. Seek the Lord with all your heart. He, he will encourage you and that discouragement will be lifted 
look, I, I know that voice. I, I know the deception of it, that your life won't count, that why are you even bothering? The, the, there, those who are against you are greater than those who are with you. You might as well quit. I've heard all those voices, and I've seen God overcome every single time. And, and I, I have to tell you, I am so excited to be alive in a season like this. Don't quit. Press into the Lord and watch as He encourages you. Uh, he who's in you is greater than He who's in the world. And so with that, here's a blessing from the Lord specifically for you as we close tonight's broadcast. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And may the Lord make His face shine upon you. And may the Lord be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. So God bless you all. Thanks for joining us. And we'll see you tomorrow night.